Charles Edison was distraught. He stood watching the Edison Industries complex burn to the ground. It was December 9th, 1914. What would he tell his father, his 67-year-old father, that the legacy that he had spent a lifetime building was gone? Finally, he found his father. He was watching the fire, his face ruddy from the, from the glow, his hair being blown by the December winds. And before Charles could get a word out of his mouth, Thomas Edison said to his son, where's your mother? I, I, I don't know, Dad. Go get her. She will never see anything like this again. The next morning, as Thomas Edison and his son and daughter made their way through the disaster, this is what Thomas Edison said. There's great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. Three weeks after the fire, his firm delivered the first phonograph. Not having to worry about the past, they were able to move into the future. Edison was an unusual man. I don't know very many of us that can meet that kind of disaster with that kind of hope. Most of us are devastated when we face loss. But the good news is that no matter how deep our loss, God is never done with us. Our God always is about the business of taking our broken things and making something new. Jesus sees through all of us. We may try to hide from others or even from ourselves, but not from Jesus. Ultimately, life catches up with us and we come face to face with who we are. And so... As I get into these two stories, I want to ask you these questions. Are we ready to accept the new life that Jesus brings? Are we ready? Will we drink from the rivers of living water that comes through faith in Jesus? Or will we continue to live the brokenness of our past again and again and again? What's interesting about the scriptures is that we sometimes romanticize the characters in the, in the Bible, and yet each of them were broken. They had their faults. They made their mistakes. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a human saga of our need for God and God's solution. God's solution is... For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not any of your own doing, but a gift from God. That is our hope. This morning we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament and one from the New. I'll start with the New Testament of the, of the woman at the well and then move to the, to the reconciliation of Joseph and his brothers. We know these stories fairly well. They're stories of brokenness. But most important, they are stories of reconciliation and new life. Let's pray. 
Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words. And for all that I don't speak, Lord, that you would have me speak. Stand in the gap that we may hear despite these words your word for us today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, what was Jesus thinking? What was he doing? The Jews were not to have contact with Samaritans. They were unclean, rejected, and unworthy to be avoided at all cost. And culture was not the only problem with this woman. With this woman. Um, her personal life was a mess. As a result, she'd been isolated from her, uh, from her own community. But there's only one reason that you come to the well to draw water in the heat of the day. And that is to avoid the looks and the whispers of those around you. She came alone, isolated, broken. And not only, so not only did Jesus step across cultural boundaries, he stepped across the brokenness of this woman, her questionable reputation, to offer her acceptance and hope. She needed the living rivers of water that come from Jesus more than anyone. And Jesus knew that. And so he struck up a conversation. And, and, and as I look at this story and as, I, and, and as I see Jesus approach this woman, I realize that if Jesus can approach this woman, that there is none of us outside of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. If Jesus can offer her the rivers of living water, Jesus can offer me. He can offer all of us that living water that brings life. Now, I can only imagine the, the, uh, the looks on the disciples' face was when they returned to find Jesus speaking to this woman. Uh, a Samaritan woman, married five times and currently living with a man without being married. The disciples said nothing, but their silence said volumes. You see, they were yet to understand the full purpose of Jesus. To take the unhealthy, broken things of our life and make something new and alive. That's Jesus' purpose for all of us. To take the unhealthy, broken things of our lives and make something new. And Jesus wants his disciples and us to know that no one is too broken to receive the offering of forgiveness and new life. Let me, let me say that again. No one, no one is too broken to receive the offering of forgiveness and new life. That's the story of the woman at the well. Now let's look at Joseph. Joseph's story in the book of Genesis is kind of the culmination of the book of Genesis. The last fourth of Genesis deals with the story of Joseph. And it ends 
with this, this reconciliation with his brothers. And, and as we get into Joseph, Joseph is representative of, of all of the broken individuals throughout the Old Testament. And they're all trying to find their way to God. This is one of the most well-known. It's been made into a play. It's been made into a movie. I was reading that over, uh, I think it's over 10,000 schools and amateur groups have performed Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. It's a well-known story. It's well-known because it tells how God uses our brokenness for good. God never gives up on God's people. Now, <laughs> Joseph was not perfect. Here's what we know about Joseph as we read the early parts of the story. Joseph is the favorite of Jacob, his father. And Joseph knows it. And so he flaunts it in front of his brothers. He's arrogant. He's, uh, he's outspoken. He's, uh, he's insulting. And so when, when Jacob gives him this coat of many colors and nothing to the other brothers, that's the last straw. Their jealousy just overtakes them. And so they plan to kill Joseph. They get to the day when they're going to kill him and they just can't, they can't follow through in their plan. And so instead they fake Joseph's death and they sell him into slavery. And this begins this saga of Joseph's life. He goes into slavery. He gets out of slavery. He ends up at the home of Potiphar, which is an officer within the Egyptian court. Um, uh, he is accused of adultery with, uh, uh, justly, of Potiphar's wife. He's then put in jail. He then, <laughs> through the interpretation of, uh, of a dream, he, he's able to get out of jail. And, and miraculously, he works himself up to a place, the equivalent of a prime minister in Egypt. Now, when we look at the story of Joseph, we don't really see Joseph give credit to God at any point. Now, we can see the hand of God, we can see how it works, but does Joseph really give God the credit? Until the end. And that's where I want to focus today. For every event in Joseph's life was leading up to what happens in chapter 50. What happens between Joseph and his brothers. In verse 15 it says, Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brother said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all of the wrong that we did him? Now, let's put this in context for a minute. Um, Jacob and the 11 other brothers had come to Egypt 16 years before this conversation in chapter, 15 ta uh, chapter 50 takes place. 16 years. Jacob dies, and it takes uh, 70 days... For them to prepare the body. 
There's this kind of, it's kind of a weird deal that takes place there in chapter 49. But, and, and then the, Jacob and his brothers take this long trip back to Canaan to bury their father, and they come back. Now, what's going on here? It has been a long time that Joseph and his brothers have been together, and not one time have they sought forgiveness. Not one effort. And then in verse 16, we hear these words. And we don't know what prompted it. Maybe the, the fear of not knowing what Joseph would do because he'd been, been uh, you know, nearly 17 years had, had become greater than, the, than actually presenting themselves to Joseph. In verse 16, it says this, So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave me this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. Now, the response of Joseph is unexpected here. He weeps when his father dies. We, we see that in the earlier chapters. But why does he weep here? The, the scriptures don't tell us the reason. Had he been longing for this day when his brothers would finally come to him and ask for forgiveness, that, that he might be reconciled to them? Was, was that the weeping? Had Joseph in those moments finally realized the family cycle of, of dysfunction that had been repeated really all the way back to Abraham? That cycle had worked itself again and again in different scenarios through the book of Genesis. Was he weeping knowing that he had the opportunity now to, to break that cycle with his brothers who are now seeking reconciliation? And what about the brothers? Why do they weep? Do they, do they weep because for Years they had held the guilt of selling their brother into slavery and had held that and lived with it. And now before Joseph, they were able to release that guilt. For whatever reason, as Joseph weeps, so the healing begins. And then, this is what the scripture says in 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do me harm, God intended it for good. You know, for years, Joseph had been the captain of his future. Um, now, the, the saga of the ups and downs of Joseph, slavery, freedom, being in a place of authority, being put in jail, back and forth, he used his gift of dreams and interpreting dreams to be able to navigate that. He doesn't give God the credit, but here, finally it happens. He says, am I in the place of God? 
He breaks the cycle. He shatters it with those words. Am I in the place of God? And then he follows it with, even though you intended to do me to do harm to me, God intended it for good. In these words, Jacob admits and affirms that everything that has happened in his life, every circumstance has brought him to this moment to bless his future and the future of Israel. With these words, everything changes. Now I'm wondering, can we say these words? In the deep night, deep darkness of the night of the soul, when we are desperate, alone, when we have lost a loved one, when we don't know what our next step is, are we able to say, those words all of us in one way or another continue to relive the cycles that have gone before and they will not change until we admit that we are not the captain of our soul of our of our lives god is Without dependence on God, we limit the flow of God's purpose for our lives. And these broken places and cycles are, are, are painful and difficult. And yet, if we allow God to work, I truly believe this, as so as Jesus approached the woman at the well, if we allow God to work, it can happen. God, through Jesus Christ, can take the unhealthy things and make something new and alive again. It is possible to leave the past behind and to claim the life-giving rivers of Jesus Christ. You know, th this month during January, I've been preaching sermons on how we can get closer to God. And we've dealt with different stories from the Old Testament uh, and, and, and some words from the New Testament. And here, here's what I've been trying to get at. Living as a growing and disciple of Jesus Christ takes hard work. And I've been asking, what next steps are we willing to take in our walk with Christ? And really more importantly, what are we willing to put in God's hands? Now, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that, that it happened all at once. It's, it, it's a process. It's a step-by-step. Step. And sometimes we take two steps forward and one step back. The point is, are we continuing on that journey of growth? Are we continuing on that journey of becoming a fully growing disciple of Jesus Christ. The story of the good Samaritan, the woman at the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, and Joseph and his brothers reminds us of our broken places. Let me name a few. Regret, guilt, abandonment, 
bitterness, betrayal, fear, anger, jealousy, failure. Man, those are hard places. And these two stories, at least for me, give me insight on the next steps. Here's maybe, here's a few that you might want to continue, consider. I'm not saying doing all of them. Just consider. Identify the broken emotional baggage that's holding us back. You see, in, in Joseph's refusal to treat his brothers with revenge or as slaves, he released those, those places in his life. He admitted them. Or respond to in the divine presence of Jesus. Respond in the, in, in the divine presence of Jesus. Do I stand in the place of God? No. And Joseph's refusal to treat his brothers as slaves, he released himself. And he put himself in God's hands. Or be open to the ways that, that, that God is always working in our lives. To be looking for those places that God is working and moving. To see how God uses that which is difficult to bring good. As Joseph saw the ill intent of his brothers and how God used it for good. Or, and maybe this is the best place to start, let the rivers of living water flow through listening prayer, the reading of God's word, genuine worship, and honest interaction with other Christians in community. Listening prayer, genuine worship, honest interaction with other Christians in community, reading God's word. For me, if, if we're willing to just take that step, the others begin to unfold. They are open to us. For me, the story of the, the woman at the well, if you don't do anything, at least do what she did. Admit need and ask for help. Admit the need and place the heavy broken places in the healing hands of Jesus. What did she say? Give me this living water. Oh, friends, we are the church. We are the church. And the church is at its best when we are a place of healing and hope, a place where everyone is accepted and heard, 
a place of support and encouragement, a place where we can experience the power of God and the healing presence of Jesus embedded in all that we do. And may as we go forward, may we be that church so that (laughs) the rivers of living waters of Jesus may not only flow within our hearts and within our souls, but may it flow through our connected community together. May we be the church, for God is never going to give up on us, and God waits for us to take the next step. So what step will you take today? Our lives may not be in ashes like Thomas Edison, but no matter what, there is nothing outside of what God can do through Jesus Christ. And so as we move into our time of pause, What will you lay aside today? Just one thing or two. What will you lay aside today so that the rivers of living water may flow freely? Amen.